Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a, a lovely week and uh, a blessed weekend and uh, you enjoying enjoying the your day or night or wherever you are in the world. Um, and uh, for those of you who are just tuning into the cafe, this is a show where I talk about uh, books, main, you know, books, like giving my review about books, uh, but then also relating what I'm learning in the books or the stories to uh, real world events uh, or to spiritual concepts or, um, you know, or just sharing anything that I find interesting about what I'm reading. Because um, for me, I find my creativity um, to be expressed in books and in reading. And I, I just really enjoy and enjoy reading and I thought that you know it'd be fun to create a, a podcast or a show where I can uh, you know take all the things that I'm interested in and, and, and love and put them together and see what happens um, and of course you know the name Quantum Heart Cafe that I do you know spend a little bit of time talking about coffee because I love coffee and um, you know this the whole idea for the cafe kind of came from um, you know, the last few years where we had like the lockdowns and stuff. So going to a coffee shop or, and what have you, uh, you know, at that time wasn't always easy. Um, and I wasn't allowed in a lot of the ca cafes at one point. So, um, I decided to take it, take the coffee shop with me. And, and today I went and got a new brand of, it's not really a decaf, but I think it's like a light and light to medium roast coffee. Uh, it's from the 49th Parallel uh, Coffee Roastery, and it's called the North. Uh, it's called North the North Star Blend, which is kind of fitting given you know to the today's topic where I'm going to be continuing a book I've been uh, talking about for the last couple of shows, and uh, so far it's really nice. It's kind of got like a hazelnut uh, taste to it, and I'm enjoying enjoying uh, drinking it and. I usually drink a decaf because I do um, in the evenings, but this one's not too bad. It's quite. It's I, I think because um, you know maybe it's like a a light to medium roast. Maybe it's not as uh, caffeine heavy. I'm not sure because then you know I remember being in a coffee shop a little while ago, and one of the baristas was saying that the dark roast has le less caffeine than the medium roast, so. I don't know if if it's like the opposite where the light roast has more caffeine than the medium or the dark roast. Um, I'm not sure, but you know, so far, so it's been pretty good because I don't I don't need to have too much caffeine. Um, I just really like the taste of coffee. I'm not really drinking it because of the caffeine. So, anyway, it's been. Really, I've been enjoying it. I, had, I got it last a couple of days ago, and I've been really enjoying this blend of coffee. And then, you know, I'll try out different ones uh, as I explore the different type of coffees and coffee roasteries in and, in and around where I live. Um, and also, as part of the show, I, I do like to give, um, or, you know, just share a moment of gratitude because... You know, I, I know I can, I'm pretty guilty for this where I can, it's easy for me to take things for granted or, 
not um, or maybe getting a little impatient where I'm at in life um, or comparing myself to others and that's not really healthy and I find that uh, gratitude and just taking a moment to remember what you know the, the progress I have made and um, how far I've come in life uh, I find that very spiritually grounding and, and healthy so uh, for today and I am grateful for we did have some really nice weather and I did get a change in scenery in terms of where I work which I got transferred to another uh, department and so far that's been pretty relaxing because previously where I was where I was was a bit uh, stressful so now it's kind of like you know it's a little more calmer now which is nice it's not as um, you know there aren't so many demands so I can breathe and relax a little bit which is nice uh, and of course the spring is springs here and the days are starting to get longer and it's like that Goldilocks weather right now before everything gets really hot in the summertime. So I'm just really enjoying enjoying that. And uh, and it's uh, and pretty soon, actually it's this month, the cherry blossoms are coming. I've already seen some of the cherry blossoms on the trees. And they look beautiful. And um, uh, hopefully I'm looking forward to getting some really nice photos of the cherry blossoms uh, in an in and around where I live, so that's going to be, I'm really looking forward to that. So April's, I think April's going to be a nice, uh, relaxing month, and I'm really grateful for that. And, um, you know, with that all being said, and today I'm going to, um, you know, continue talking about uh, Worlds in Collision, and it's the book I've been reading for the last few shows. And if you haven't seen the other shows, that's okay. It's not, it's not like if you don't, you know, if you, if you haven't listened to the previous shows, you won't be lost for this one because it. I'm just kind of picking up where Emmanuel um, left off, where he finished, or last last uh, I last show I concluded a section where he was talking about the planet Venus and how Venus used to be a comet, and when it was a comet, it was responsible for a lot of the mayhem and destruction and world catastrophes during the time of the Exodus, uh, in you know, in the in the biblical stories, and he, uh, so he's he related a lot of like the the myths and legends and stories, not just from the Bible but also from other uh, spiritual teachings from around the world, and he related them to. Uh, the destruction that Venus caused, you know, like floods and, and fires and, you know, rains of fire and earthquakes and so on. So he he looks at the, the legends and the stories from different uh, areas. And then he also, as a way to draw evidence for the fact that Venus was the one that was responsible for those um, world-ending catastrophes at that time. So... Um, so I concluded that section of the book, and now I'm uh, just beginning the the last part of the book, was where he talks about Mars, and how Mars was also involved in some uh, catastrophic uh, upheavals, not as severe as Venus, from what I'm um, just 
based on what I'm reading, like it wasn't like there were still earthquakes and a lot of destruction and people still died. Uh, but from what I get, I gather the destruction wasn't nearly as severe as the destruction that happened during the time of the Exodus. And, and Venus is still involved. Um, cause I think Venus and Mars, uh, Emmanuel thinks that Venus and Mars collided with each other, uh, during the, uh, not the Exodus, but it was during like the, the, um, when the Iliad and Odyssey were written, uh, Emmanuel thinks that Homer was observing the night sky and he may have seen, uh, some sort of a collision between the two planets, which would have inspired Homer to create those epics. And in the epics, even like you have Ares, who is the protector of the Trojans fighting with Athena, who's the protector of Athens. And so it's kind of like this big cosmic collision between the two planets is reflected in the epic. And I I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, So so I'm just going to cover the first half of the section of Mars tonight. And then I don't know if I'll be able to have time to record another show this week, but definitely early next week, I'll be concluding um, the book Worlds in Collision and concluding the last little bit on Mars. And then I'm going to be moving on to a new book. And I'm still trying to think which one I should read. Um, uh, But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make an announcement closer to closer to that time, which book is next. Okay. Um, so Emmanuel starts the, the, uh, the section on Mars, uh, by talking about Amos and Amos was, a one of the prophets, uh, during the eighth century. And he's just, he was talking about how Amos, along with some other prophets like Isaiah, Joel, uh, Hosea and, uh, Micah, they prophesized like, a a destruction happening every 15 years. Like the, it was, it was like a, in the destruction would take place in intervals. Um, and that relates to what was going on with Mars. So, um, so approximately seven centuries after the cosmic upheavals of the Exodus and the disturbance, uh, disturbances accounted in the book of Joshua, a new series of cosmic upheavals began at the shorter intervals. So the annals of the Assyrian kings and the books from the Hebrew prophets of the time um, were preserved, and he uses those books as the analysis for uh, what Mars was doing at that time. Uh, so that's kind of like the, the basis. So he uses that as the basis for his... Um, the chapters or yeah, the basis of his, uh, ideas and hypotheses about Mars in this section. Um, and then Emmanuel also references the eighth, uh, eighth century throughout this section, uh, because that's the beginning of the Greek and Roman civilizations and their beginnings have a deep connection with the planet Mars, which I'll get into, uh, just in, in a few minutes here. And then, uh, during the 8th, 8th century, um, that's also when the 
these cosmic upheavals took place and they're the ones that uh, the prophets had uh, talked about and they would have happened during the day and that they were the prophecies that were the that happened during the days of Uziah the days of Ahaz and the days of Hezekiah I hope I pronounced those names right um and then Jerusalem wasn't the only place affected by uh, earthquakes and other uh, kind of calamities at that time. Uh, other cultures also had uh, experienced these upheavals. But again, they weren't as severe as the ones that Venus caused. Um, so in the, the first part of the section on Mars, Emmanuel talks about Isaiah, who was one of the prophets. And um, because Isaiah talked about um, these celestial upheavals happening at the time of Uziah, and um, and it was these upheavals that uh, kindled Isaiah's prophetic spirit, and he observed the stars and learned the periodic intervals, which was every 15 years that the catastrophes would occur. Um, so the days of Uziah were kind of a prelude to the upheavals um, that would happen like in, in the 15-year intervals. And at that time, people uh, left the cities and took shelter in the caves, and they were trying to find uh, safe places to ride out these upheavals. And, uh, and then Isaiah prophesized more darkness and you know blocking the light being blocked from the sunshine from other celestial bodies kind of similar to how uh venus caused or the comet venus caused a a period of darkness to happen during the time of the exodus in the book of joshua um and then isaiah also spoke of um Earth's axis tilting and more earthquakes. Uh, and at the time, you know, and of course this frightened a lot of people as he was doing making these predictions. And so people feared the end of the world and a scorching flame devouring the earth. And it, they also feared a, a rain of fire and a flood happening. And then Isaiah took the people to read or told the people to read the book of Joshua because he uh, related the coming upheavals to the upheavals experienced during the time of Joshua. So I found that interesting because I wonder if Isaiah was familiar with what happened during the time of Exodus and Joshua and was familiar how, or familiar with how Venus or the celestial body caused these upheavals. And so he was able to use that knowledge as the basis for his uh, predictions that these new catastrophes would take place. So I found that kind of interesting. So I wonder if that, if reading the book of Joshua is what helped like nurture his prophetic uh, abilities, if that makes sense. Um, and then of course, you know, Emmanuel talks about how there were some uh, philosopher, not during the 8th century, but later, there were some philosophers that looked back at that time, uh, and they 
you know, they didn't think that Isaiah or the or the other prophets were talking about like actual like cosmic events, but more so that they were that the prophecies and the destruction talked about in the book of Isaiah and so on was more of like a psychological and political nature of the people living at that time and not really uh, a co- you know a depiction of the cosmic upheavals that were causing that that were the or that were responsible for that destruction um, and then there were some philosophers too that you know talked about how nature always follows like a fixed and immutable order even if how how she does that remains unknown and that the miracles merely mean that something that can't be explained by natural cause or a miracle is something that can't be explained by a natural cause um and what is meant in the scripture is a work of nature and not necessarily the work of uh, deities or the work of the, like a or a cosmic upheaval so there was he was just talking about how there are some philosophers that were skeptical of these being actual events during the book or the time of Isaiah are more so you know metaphors for the psychological and political makeup of the people at that time and you know of course Emmanuel disagrees with that um and then also to the um you know the philosophers that disagreed or were skeptical of these events also just thought that the the prophecies and these biblical writings were more of an expression of of the of the writers of the people writing them and their subjective perception rather than explaining um these or explaining or being a record for these amazing uh, celestial events uh so i think maybe now that's changing but at, at the time you know emmanuel just noticed that that was like the common like skepticism when it came to these biblical events or other uh, mythological events and how those are tied in with actual like cosmic um uh, actual cosmic events happening in the sky at that time okay and then also um Emmanuel talks about a, t- a period of time it is minus 687 and minus 747 uh he talks about this as being kind of the the time frame for the like it's kind of like when the 8th century was going on and he also talks about how this is the time frame for when the those cosmic upheavals caused by mars were taking place so he talks about the story of this Assyrian king, Sennacherib. Oh, I hope I said his name wrong. I'm so bad at pronouncing people's names. Uh, and so I think it's Sina, Sina Sherib. I'm Sina Sherib. So apologies if I mispronounced the king's name wrong. Um, so King Sina Sherib uh, was trying to take the Hezekiah uh, kingdom. 
and his army so he talks so Emmanuel talks about that story and how the king was trying or the Syrian king was trying to take over Hezekiah and then one night the army you know without much of an explanation the king's army was completely destroyed I mean the king survived but and was later assassinated um but he talks about how this event happened like this this army was just destroyed and you know some people thought that maybe the army was destroyed by a plague um but Emmanuel questions this because the you know if it was a plague there would be a, a record of people getting sick and it would be more gradual like you wouldn't have a plague completely right wipe out an army in the span of a, of a night or a, a day like they that usually doesn't happen usually if there's a, a a plague or a massive illness you know like it starts off slow and then it builds up and then there's more more people dying it's not like something where everyone gets like completely wiped out so he thought that maybe the what happened to the army was actually related to what was going on in the the sky like it, it was actually a celestial a, sorry celestial event that it wasn't a plague but the destruction was caused by you know he starts to hint at maybe they were destroyed by mars so on uh and then he also talks about the date uh march 23rd uh so the cosmic event that took out the the king's army so that's king sinat sinasherib um the event that took out his army um you know it could have that it could have happened around uh the passover so so Emmanuel establishes a date for the army's destruction and it could have been around the year uh, minus 686 to the year 687 and the, the Talmud and the Midrash say that the destruction happened around Passover uh, which was the 23rd of March and then even in Confucius, Confucius in China he also recorded the event happening or like a a cosmic destruction happening around um, March 23rd, minus 687. Um, and then he also spoke of stars, or Confucius, Confucius is the one that also spoke of uh, stars falling like rain and a disturbance in the planet. So it could have been that, you know, stars falling from rain or falling like rain, maybe the army got pelted by a meteor shower or maybe they got hit by uh some sort of electrical discharge from mars uh so we'll i think he talks he explores he he, he started exploring that in the latter part of the section on mars um and then he also talks about the worship of mars so uh the body which passed every 14 to 16 years um during the time of the of Isaiah must have been uh, a considerable mass to affect Earth. Um, although Emmanuel thinks it's smaller than Venus, so he talks about how there was Emmanuel does talk about how there was a celestial being or celestial body um, which was disturbing Earth 
in those 15-year intervals. Uh, but it wasn't Venus. It was a smaller planet than Venus, but it was still big enough to cause a, um, a disturbance in the Earth's uh, axis, axes and, and climate. And so Emmanuel looks to the Romans who were a newer uh, culture at that time and who appropriated their god from Greece, uh, like their war god from Greece. Um, but they did treat their god Mars uh, differently than the Greek counterparts. So the Romans, so he Emmanuel was saying that the Romans were during the 8th uh, century, which is around uh, the, the time of these upheavals, uh, the Romans, uh, or the Rome... Sorry, the, the country Rome was, or was, that's when it was founded. And the Romans, you know, they took much of their, their gods and goddesses off of the Greeks. So the god Ares is the god of war in Greece. So the Roman counterpart is Mars. So Mars and Aries are the same god, but the Mars is more so is how the Romans refer to him, and Aries is how the Greeks refer to him. But they're the same god, and um, and Emmanuel was saying that March was dedicated to Mars, which does make sense. And also too, when you think about the zodiac, like the Western uh, zodiac in astrology, the first planet. Uh, that starts the new a new uh, year in the zodiac is Aries, uh, and Aries is the Greek god of war, um, and that starts in March. It starts around actually. Um, usually, Aries season, you know, they'll begin around maybe the twenty first or twenty second of of March, depending on how the calendar years fall. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting how, you know, back then the god of war, you know, March was dedicated to him. And then you still have with the Western astrology, you know, the the latter half of March and the first half of April is dedicated to the first zodiac sign, which is Aries. Um, and then... Uh, Rome is thought to have been founded around the 8th uh, century, so it was, its founding was thought to be around um, the year 747, which I thought was interesting, because, like, isn't, isn't, like, the Boeing, air, you know, the big jumbo jet also called 747? I wonder if there's, like, a, a relationship there somewhere. I, I don't know, but it, I just found it kind of peculiar, like, 747. I, I think of that, that number... Mostly when I'm thinking thinking about like airplanes and stuff, not about the eighth century and the founding of Rome, but maybe there's some a uh, connection there somewhere. Um, and then you know, seven forty seven was also around. It also that overlaps the the time of those cosmic upheavals as well, because that took place between you know six eighty seven. And 747, so there's there's a lot of relationships around there. <clears throat> and then during Rome's founding, uh, Plutarch also recorded a number of disturbances, like the light from the sun failed, um, 
and night came down on them. So, you know, there was like you know, earthquakes happening at that time and, uh, and, and pestilence too, because when the planet Mars came too close to the earth, it created a lot of heat. And so a lot of like vermin and pests were able to proliferate at that time too. And uh, because Mars was such a venerated god, uh, the author expected to find cults that had uh, celebrations for Mars. And he did. Manuel found uh, um, the cult of Mars, and they celebrated him during their festival on March 24th, and again on October 19th. I don't know why October 19th, he didn't really mention that. Um, but March 24th makes sense. And then he, Emmanuel was saying that the date coincides with the disturbances that took out Sennacherib's uh, army, uh, which, according to the Talmud, happened during the Passover. So again, maybe you know around March 23rd or 24th, that, that's when the army got destroyed. And, you know, that twenty March 23rd and 24th is dedicated to Mars. So, it, you know, it really is looking like Mars took out the Assyrian king's army. Um, and, what, and what's also kind of cool is that the Mars celebrations also coincided with the celebrations dedicated to Athena. So during the venereal equinox, two festivals are celebrated um and they are the ones dedicated to Athena and March, uh, and they're both they're planets that are both responsible for major cataclysms. So it is interesting how those two planets have celebrations that are really close together, or yeah, close close to each other, um, and they were both responsible for some pretty um, intense catastrophes on the planet Earth. Um, and then also, uh, Emmanuel's talking about how, um, you know, he couldn't find evidence that Mars was a comet before becoming a planet, like how Venus was, uh, because a lot of cultures had a four-planet astrological system, and Mars was one of the, those planets, and usually, um, you know, if a new planet comes into place, like how when Venus went from being a comet to a planet, um, you know, a lot of cultures went from a four-star astrological system to a five-star astro astrological system, but but before that, they were a four-star, so they would have been able to see Mars. So maybe Mars was always a planet before uh, before this. And what's in interesting is that or what's interesting is that before the 8th uh, century, Mars wasn't really, uh, you know, it didn't really garner that much attention from people, unlike Venus, because, you know, before, in the second millennium, which is when Venus was causing all these um, cataclysms, that's, you know, people really paid attention to that planet, like astrologers and uh, astronomers, and, you know, back in the day, astronomers and astrologers were one of the same and you know people had a lot of ceremonies dedicated to venus at during the second millennium because of all the destruction caused but you know once venus kind of settled down 
as a planet that worship sort of began to change in the 8th century and Mars started garnering more attention and more worship from people and it has to do uh, with the upheavals that Mars was responsible for at that time. Um, so, you know, Emmanuel was saying that Sargon um, built a shrine dedicated to Mars uh, once he conquered the Sumerians. And the Babylonian name for Mars is uh, Nurgle. I hope I said that right. And he uh, is associated with much violence and fear. Uh, the Babylonian astrologers took special attention to Mars and focused on the planet's movements more so than others. And that's probably because, you know, again, it was coming in those 15-year intervals. It was coming to really close to planet Earth and causing a lot of uh, disturbances in the climate and the just the geological makeup of Earth, um, and so you know, and and it, so at the time, during Isaiah's time, it was Nurgle and Mars who was causing a lot of those, um, you know, cataclysms. So it makes sense that in a lot of the legends and myths that you know Mars would then become a prominent war god. Um, just corresponding with the cosmic drama happening uh, above the sky. Um, and then he also, Emmanuel talks about what caused Venus and Mars to shift their orbits. So when Venus joined the solar system, uh, people in both hemispheres watched it because its original orbit was an outstretched ellipse, and that's why it came close to colliding with other celestial bodies, including Earth. Um, and then when Venus changed from a comet to a planet in the second half of the seventh uh, century, you know, Venus then stopped being an object and of anxiety. Um, and then the, and the focus changed to Mars. Um, because before, you know, before the eighth, eighth century, you know, Mars wasn't an object of fear. And its name was second, it was seldom mentioned in the second millennium. Um, but after the eighth century, you know, that's when people really started to worship Mars. Um, and their perceptions of Mars changed. And so there's, you know, during that time, you see more stories about Mars's rise to godhood. And so, you know, Emmanuel wonders if there is a shift in Mars's orbit that caused it to come closer to Earth and then caused people to be afraid of it. Um, so with both Venus and Mars changing their orbits around that time, um, uh, Emmanuel thinks that maybe Venus and Mars collided with each other uh, because, and, you know, Venus then had more of a stable orbit after that and so you know with this hypothesis Emmanuel looks to history to see if there's any events um, that were recorded or observed that kind of see or that talk about a collision between these these planets and that's when he starts talking about uh, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey um, which could have been written around the 8th or 7th century um, but you know, Emmanuel 
uh, recognizes that this is difficult to discern. Uh, so he is he looks to the Epic of Troy to see if there's any clues as to what caused Mars and Venus to collide within the story. And Um, but then he also, uh, sorry, I was just, I was just like looking over my notes cause I kind of lost my train of thought for a second there. Okay. So, uh, he, yeah, so he was looking to the, uh, the Epic of Troy to see if there's any clues as to what caused Mars and Venus to collide with, uh, with each other in the story. And, um, you know, there's our, our scenes in the story where Athena and Ares meet each other on the battlefield and, and fight with one another. Uh, because like I said, the Ares was the protector of the Trojans and Athena was the protector of the Athenian people. And so, you know, there's depictions in the story of the two deities um, fighting with each other. And so that could have been, you know, a metaphor for the collisions happening in the sky at the time. But then, you know, he Homer also writes about how, um, you know, how, you know, Poseidon was causing earthquakes at that time. And Zeus was sending his thunderbolts and Hera was casting a gloom and a thick mist. So, you know, with that, you know, with the gods doing all these things, that could have been a metaphor for all the the upheavals and the catastrophes happening because of Mars coming in close proximity to Earth and, you know, causing a gloom or and causing earthquakes and so on and, and and electrical discharges from the two planets uh, coming into close, close contact with each other. So it was kind of, in the Iliad and the Odyssey, it was alluded to with the actions of the gods. Um, so yeah, Emmanuel then reasons that the cosmic drama between Venus and Ares was captured in the Iliad and projected onto the battlefield. Um, and what's interesting, he does quote, uh, someone named Lucian uh, in his book on astrology about the often neglected but significant commentary on Homer's epics um, because it was the conjuncture of Venus and, or conjunction of Venus and Mars that created the poetry of Homer. So even the people who... In, um, so yeah, you, and then... So even astrologers were... A, aware of the cosmic drama between Venus and Mars and how that was captured in Homer's poems. Um, and that's, and that's one of the reasons why Emmanuel thinks that the epics were written between the, somewhere in the eighth, eighth century. Um, because, and he also wonders if Homer was a contemporary of Amos and Isaiah, or he lived uh, shortly after them just because he was able to observe uh, this collision between Mars and Venus, and then that was his inspiration for these poems. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, 
And then he also, Emmanuel also talks about some other symbology and, um, you know, myth or legends that are associated with Mars and with the 8th century. So the Babylonians of the 8th uh, century revered and feared the planet Mars and called it uh, Nurgle. They composed many hymns, poems, prayers, and magic formula dedicated to the deity. And they also uh, credit Nurgle, but the one who inflicted defeat on the king, this the Assyrian king. Um, so during one of Mars's conjunctions, uh, the what's interesting is that the Mars's atmosphere got stretched so thin that the atmosphere took on a present appearance of a sword, and there's a lot of sword symbology associated with Mars and with the the war planet. So the Roman god is depicted with a sword, and the Chaldean Nurgle is called the sword god. Um, so each time Mars came into contact with the Earth, um, you know the the atmosphere was kind of Mars's atmosphere would be distorted, and it would take on the sword appearance, which is where that symbology with the sword and the planet Mars kind of came into being. And then there's more symbology that um, became associated with uh, Mars, and that also includes a wolf, because at other times when uh, Mars came into close contact with a, another celestial body, the atmosphere would then change into what looked like a wolf. So Mars became associated with a wolf or a jackal at that time. And what's, what's interesting is that um, Emmanuel talks about the Icelandic uh, tradition and how they have a story where Venus and Mars uh, battled each other and it depicts Mars as a wolf, um, uh, Fenris, or the wolf's name is Fenris, and then uh, Venus is depicted as a serpent uh, called Midgar, and they would fight each other. And it kind of reminds me of the section in Venus where uh, Emmanuel talks about how when Venus was a comet, it uh, its atmosphere um, took on a, a, the shape of a serpent. And so when Ve during the time of Exodus, when Venus was really close to Earth, you know, it looked like there was this epic battle in the sky between like this serpent being and then a god like deity, you know, like Zeus or any of the other gods were fighting fighting the serpent. So I thought that was kind of interesting how like now you have the wolf symbology associated with Mars and you still have the serpent symbology associated with Venus and they're fighting one another in in this Icelandic uh, story, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, and then uh, Emmanuel has a section talking about Sonodos. I hope they said that right, but um, the Chaldean scholars, as well as a few others like Barossus, uh, they knew that the planets undergo changes and they can be the cause of planetary catastrophes, like what befell the Assyrian king's army and the exodus before that. And then the ancient Kamites, um, are now known as the, now currently known as the Egyptians. And a few, a few Greek philosophers also knew, uh, planets were disturbed when they came 
into close contact with each other, and this is how comets are born. And the Greek word for the collision of planets is uh, synodos. Synodos. I hope I said that right. Um, and Pliny also wrote about uh, discharges from interplanetary disturbances or conjunctions. So the just discharges would be things like electrical discharges and how they can affect um, a planet's climate or climate and so on. And, and then Pliny also spoke about how uh, Mars destroyed the town of Balsina, which was part of the Etru Etruscan uh, civilization. And the destruction took place around the 8th uh, century and was uh, partially responsible for the Etruscans' decline. So and following the destruction of um, the Etruscans' civilization, um, a group of people migrated to that area and founded Rome. So I just found that interesting because, you know, the the ancient Kamites, the, the Greeks and, you know, others uh, knew that planets interact with each other and they, those interactions can cause disturbances and, you know, which, you know, you, you see like earthquakes and storms and, um, you know, these powerful electrical discharges as the, um, as the response for those interplanetary uh, conjunctions or disturbances. And all Emmanuel was saying that, you know, one of these, uh, when Mars came close to planet Earth during the 8th century, it sent an electrical discharge to the town of Balsina, which completely destroyed the town, which is now part of, which is now where Tus Tuscany is. And Balsina was part of a older civilization than Rome. It was the Etruscan civilization. I hope I said that right. Um, and, you know, once that um, electrical discharge hit the town, you know, it sounds like that civilization wasn't able to recover, and so it declined. And in its place, the Roman Empire, or Rome, and then the Roman Empire, was founded. So, <coughs> excuse me, it's interesting how all these events are related to each other and how, like, the interplanetary, these interplanetary disturbances have also shaped a lot of our history. Like, you know, without, you know, with Mars and Earth interacting with each other, we also, that's also when we saw the Roman Empire being founded and and so on. So I find that to be really interesting. I mean, he doesn't really, Emmanuel does, doesn't really talk about this in his book. This is like just my thoughts, but I just thought that the relationship between that's really, it, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. It's just really interesting how there's like all these threads, like the cosmic events and space have this, how it affects us and our, our, and our collective histories and stuff. I thought that's really interesting. And then the just to conclude the second or the first half of the section on Mars, 
Emmanuel also talks about the Stormer of Walls, of Walls, which is another name associated with Mars, uh, because during Mars's upheavals, uh, like a number of strongholds and uh, temples and homes were destroyed. So you know, breaches to temples and city walls were they were often reported and repaired at this time, and that was caused by the earthquakes triggered by Mars. So Emmanuel thinks that these prolonged Earthquakes happened because of the erosion in the crust when the equator changed positions, um, and also because of the displacement of matter when the cosmic body came close to Earth. And so the matter, it's like, because Earth is like a magnet, when it came close to another celestial body, there's an attraction there, and that would cause the matter within Earth to move, and this can cause earthquakes. And he was also saying we haven't had, you know, major cosmic, you know, a major cosmic catastrophe during the present time. So Emmanuel mag- imagines that the eighth century saw far more earthquake activity uh, due to the disturbances of Mars as compared to now. I mean, we still have earthquakes and stuff, but it's not nearly as numerous. Like it's usually confined to one area on the Earth. It's not like this. It's not like the whole Earth is going through these uh, prolonged earthquakes or anything like that. So, you know, I thought I thought this first section of Mars was pretty cool. Um, it's interesting how when you have you know a cosmic upheaval like this, that the the stories and the local folk legends and like the the biblical stories will reflect this or reflect these events and people will start to worship you know maybe worship one deity over another because that deity is perceived as more uh, dangerous at that time and just how that changes I I thought that was pretty cool so I'm really looking forward to uh, concluding the book and I think I will be able to conclude it next week because I don't know if I'll have time to do it this week or another show this week but that definitely for next week I will be concluding uh, Worlds in Collision and then choosing another book for uh, my next my next show, my next series. So thank you all for uh, stopping by the cafe. I hope you got something from from this and I think that you know I'd, I'd encourage you to, you all to read Worlds in Collision because I mean I only scratched the surface of what Emmanuel wrote about in his book because he does. Um, you know, use a lot of like quotes from stories and epics and and you know the Bible and so on, which I kind of left out because then the review would really drag, would really get long. Um, but you you know, I this is just kind of like the Cliff Notes version and and my thoughts about the book. I think you know I'd, I'd encourage people to read the book themselves and um, you know enjoy reading a little bit of really interesting uh, history, which. I know I wasn't taught about in school. Uh, So anyway, thank you all for stopping by the cafe. I hope everyone has a wonderful week and weekend and talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.